It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. All right, we're ready here to talk sports with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. How you doing? It's a Thursday, and let's get started, Lee. How you, how you been? Exciting time, very busy time, and a lot of stories that we have to talk about because there's a lot of topics on the table and a lot of unresolved issues, John. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what, the what's going on in the world with the Padres is just unbelievable. I mean, there's just so much drama. I know, I think, what it is, El Nino showing up today to talk with the boss. What's going on with the Padres, Lee? Well, let's walk you through where we are with the Padres, and we'll start with a situation involving Fernando Tatis. Thursday meeting with general manager A.J. Preller. Led to believe it was a clear-the-air session. I don't know that they're going to talk publicly, extensively about that conversation, John. I do think one thing that might come out of this conversation, that the Padres might order Fernando Tatis to have surgery on that left shoulder. I still think that's a sticking point in the relationship between the organization. I have no doubt that A.J. Preller told Fernando Tatis, this is what we expect from you as a player. This is what we demand of you off the field as a person. We can't have these incidents, the secretive stuff happen to you that impacts us as a baseball organization. So, John, that's where it is now. We know that the first meeting with Preller was Thursday. We're led to believe that Tatis is going to address his teammates, and I don't know whether it comes Thursday night or Friday night before the game with Washington. And then on Saturday morning, he is scheduled to have a face-to-face meeting with the owner, Peter Seidler. So there's a lot of things in motion with Tatis. I think there'll only be one side doing most of the talking, and those will be the people (laughs) who represent the San Diego Padres at this point in time. Uh, There's still a lot of untold aspects to the story. We know this from Major League Baseball, that Fernando Tatis is allowed to have access to the clubhouse. He is allowed to have access to the trainers and the team doctors. He is allowed to be on the field early afternoon before a home night game and do batting practice, infield drills, outfield defensive work. But when they get to 5 o'clock and the gates of the stadium open and the teams come on the field for batting practice, he is off the field, he's out of the dugout, he's out of the clubhouse, he's not part of any of the game night experience. And that, that will go through the rest of the regular season. Whatever happens in postseason, he'll be allowed the same set of rules, except when the gates open and the stadium starts to fill, he has to exit. Now, whether or not he stays here full time, whether or not he goes back to the Dominican remains to be seen. He said one thing. His father had said something else. So this this is work in progress in terms of the format. But I would almost guarantee you, John that the conversation was one-sided, and that conversation came from the Padres' front office to their star-tainted shortstop. Well, let's say he went in for surgery and and got the shoulder fixed. I mean, how long would he be out? I mean, this could synchronize nicely. Well, it could. I think you're correct in that assessment. I think that uh, probably the rehab is three to four months. If they go ahead and have surgery now, which they think solves this issue, because there's a great unknown. He could go out and play. He could go out and work. He could go out and get injured, have it pop out again. 
and if he keeps popping out, it gets worse. He's had five times that left shoulder has come out. <laughs> so I, I maintain, and surgery, is John, is always the last option. I don't care whether you're a baseball player, you're in the NFL, you work in a bank, whatever. <laughs> surgery is always the last option. But I think they really want him to have the surgery, which locks down the stability in the shoulder. And now that he's suspended, he has the surgery. He has the rest of the fall into the winter. Uh, and then obviously the delayed spring training because he will not be part of the Padres uh, on the field when games start in April. So there's a whole extended period of time for him to do the rehab. So we'll see how the dominoes fall and what they're willing to tell us in the next 72 hours about the meetings. But Junior has not said much yet. Senior has. Oh, Senior. I mean, I remember Fernando Tatis Senior hitting two grand slams off Chan Ho Park. But, I mean, he's been popping off, you know. He's been in the media trying to protect his kid. He's making it worse. Well, I think I think Fernando Tatis Sr. has responded really badly to some things that have happened uh, in the media in New York City. Uh, the New York Post wrote a condemning column about Fernando Tatis Jr.'s decision-making and his explanation what has happened. Well, the father has now gone public, and the father just sounded off that everybody's been unfair to the son. And I understand the father trying to protect the son, but here's the reality. The kid has made a lot of bad decisions, and anything coming out of Fernando Tatis Sr.'s mouth, in all honesty, John, just seems to be that he's become an enabler of his kid. You know, if you go back and think to what happened last winter in the offseason, his father went public and said, well, yeah, there was a motorcycle incident and all they did was scrape his knee and scrape his wrist. Well, now we found out there might have been three incidents with Junior on a motorcycle. And then we found out, oh, he did get injured. And then we found out they never contacted the Padres. They never came to San Diego for examination by the doctors of the Padres instead of going to a personal physician who said no big deal in the Dominican Republic. Well, it was a big deal when he got here, took his spring training physical, and he got the fracture of the wrist, and they did the bone graft, and they put a screw in it. Ah. That's a major procedure. So Fernando Tatis Sr., I just think, has stepped way over the line here, and I think he's creating more of an uproar around the kid shortstop. It's already tough enough on him, and the kid has to bear the responsibility of the bad decisions that he's made. But for Senior to go out and make the comment, TV ratings are going to collapse, millions of people stop coming to games. (laughs) This, by the way, was an insignificant situation. This was a minor situation. He's so far off base, and he got roasted. Well, did you hear the comments from Barry Bonds? No, because, you know, he was hit up, obviously, with steroids. And he said, Fernando Tatis Jr. has got a bunch of bozos hanging around him and he's got to do the three ups. He's got to shut up, lawyer up and barrel up. And I thought, man, that's pretty good advice from a pretty bad guy who was tainted and stained (laughs) himself. Yes. Um, I hope this is a one time incident. Uh, My biggest fear, and we talked about this last week on our podcast, John, my biggest fear is that I think the money has changed Fernando Tatis Jr. I think he's living a very, very different lifestyle right now. And some of the the stuff that's leaked out of the Padre Clubhouse about, well, he always does what he wants to do and there's no accountability. And some of his teammates saying, hey, we've won without him so far. We can win without him going forward, etc. And, you know, people making the comment, 
Now he's disappointed us twice this year. I mean, there's some stuff, John, in that in that locker room, in that clubhouse, that he's going to have to solve. The only way he can solve it is a get healthy, and b be a stand up guy, and then c come back and be the player he can once we get to the finish line. And you, I would I would hope the father would shut up too. Yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Now, did you see Mark Ziegler's com, uh, article in the in the UT? Exactly. I mean, Mark is a great investigative reporter. I think he's a great writer. I think he he might be the best journalist. We have known about how dirty baseball is in the Caribbean, in the Latin American countries. We've known for an extended period of time uh, about Bosconis, the agents who, who develop players and then in essence sell the players and take a lot of the players' money. Baseball's been unable to put its arms around the whole Dominican situation. Uh, they've clamped down on the cheating Every club in baseball, including these guys here at Petco Park, would work out agreements with 14- and 16-year-olds and f- send money to lawyers and agents to help train them with the, with the idea that when it comes time, we will sign them as a 16-year-old. So some of these preconceived deals were, were stomped out by Major League Baseball, but I don't, I don't think they've been closed the whole thing at all. And, and the Dominican— much like some of the other Latin American countries, you need guidance, mm-hmm. you need education, you need the ability to control the whole drug culture that exists. And I've had player agents tell me that the Bosconi situation is so out of control, and Major League Baseball can't control it. Uh, that's why they've been pushing so hard for the, quote, international draft, which has not gotten approved yet by by the Players Association. So it's a big issue going forward. It's not a Padre problem. It's an MLB problem. Well, that's it's what Ziegler was problem. saying. He said that 10 percent of the players in MLB are from the Dominican, but 80 percent of the PED suspensions are Dominican players. Exactly. So yeah, there is it goes a lot to, I think Ziegler said, the poverty in that nation, the the attractiveness of the money to escape. Um, there's there. I mean, you think poverty is bad in America. I mean, in the Dominican, it's a whole other level. So um, there's just this is a very complex, complex story. I mean, Tatis had made a bonehead move, but there's a lot of parts to this. It's a culture. It's a society thing that's acceptable. Uh, There was, and we'll move on to the next topic in a second, there was a New York newspaper, might have been the Daily News or the Post, I want to say about three years ago, sent one of their reporters down to the Dominican. I think it was, it might have been in Santa Domingo. And he stood on the street corners and he purchased all the illegal drugs. He spent all the money they gave him <laughs> to prove the point really? about how corrupt it is down there. Uh, and if a, if a New York newspaper beat writer can get access to every type of steroid and cocaine, et cetera, on street corners, what do you think's going on with the players? What do you think's going on with their families? What do you think's going on with some of their agents and a bunch of the Bosconis who are really dirty? Baseball will just have to continue to work hard. But, you know, that's the big picture. Our picture is Petco Park and what that kid shortstop has to get done uh, in the next couple of weeks while he's still with this team and what he has to do in terms of the big picture of his decision-making. So on we go. On we go. So let, let's talk a little bit about the Dodgers. I mean, this team's been red hot. They... I remember they, they lost one game to Kansas City, and they had won 12 prior. They were 12 in a row. I mean, this, it's like this team can do no wrong. All the trouble that the Padres have, the, the Dodgers just seem to be blessed. But what's going on there, Lee? They are 21-5 and five since the All-Star break. 
they're you know got 81 wins already. You know, as they enter this great sports weekend, the Dodgers are 17 games in ahead of the Padres. Now they've lost another guy. And this is a big blow. They have lost Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller is the ace of this pitching staff. He has been plagued by arm problems all season long. He now needs exploratory surgery on his forearm and his right elbow again, second time in his career. Now, when Walker Bueller was a young pitcher in the organization, he had Tommy John surgery. And he recovered, and he came back, and look how dominant he was for probably a two-and-a-half to three-year span. Now he's had another setback. However, I've been told that he does not have a torn ligament again. He has a tendon problem, and I don't know whether it's an impingement or it has to be relocated, but it's not the actual ligament because a ligament takes you out for 12 to 18 months. Right. If this is a tendon, it can be repaired, whether it has to be sutured or whether it has to be moved. He could be back by spring training. Uh, It's a big setback. And when you consider the Dodgers, 81 wins first place running away with the National League West, John, they've done it without Walker Bueller. They've done it without Dustin May, who's now activated. He just came off Tommy John surgery. They've done it for a chunk of time without Clayton Kershaw, who's been gone three times on the injured list this year with the back problem. And they've did it for most of the season without the number four starter, Andrew Haney. And they did it without one of their setup guys and closers, Blake Trinan. I mean, it's pretty impressive to have 81 wins with that many marquee guys not on the mound on a regular basis. Of course, it's it's made up because they just hit the daylights out of the ball. Uh, they've, you look at all the metrics in baseball, not just batting average, but you're looking about runs scored, you're looking about on-base percentage, you're looking at slugging percentage, you're looking at OPS, all the metrics that the analytics live by. It's absolutely amazing what the Dodgers have done statistically, and half their guys have had problems. Justin Turner, half the season, substandard. Chris Taylor, disabled list, fractured rib. Cody Bellinger has been benched again, hitting just 206. And yet the Dodgers just keep on trucking. It's it's a really good team. It's a really deep team. Do they survive the loss of Bueller? That becomes the big question as we get to postseason because, as I've said about the Padres, much like I'll say about the Dodgers, we get to October, John. You're not playing Arizona. You're not playing Colorado. You're not playing the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Kansas City Royals. It's big boy baseball. So not having Bueller, that's got to be a concern. I will tell you the fascinating thing, because, you know, when you get, to, you get to September, John, everybody talks about MVPs and Cy Young Awards. Do you know the fourth and fifth starters of the Dodgers, Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson, are a combined twenty-five and three. That's amazing, <laughs> and they're the, yeah. they're the reason why those guys are in first place, and everybody's touching them. So it's a tough loss for Bueller. He's a great pitcher. He's just he's got great makeup. He'll come back from this, and and there is a piece of good news. It's not a torn elbow ligament. Well, I mean. I'm, I'm looking forward to the postseason. The Padres are hanging in there in the number six spot. But, you know, we've seen the Dodgers falter in the postseason, especially when they don't have to get it. They don't get the advantage of a short season. Well, they've faltered because Dave Roberts has mismanaged the pitching staff mm-hmm. three different occasions. But they've also won a World Series and they're on their way to winning another divisional title with Dave Roberts. And uh, that it's a really complete team. It's a really good team. So. 
That's the baseball topic on the table. And now we really got something to talk about, the NFL and what is happening next in pro football. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, you you were here last time. We talked about Deshaun Watson, all the drama that's been going on with him. What's the latest in the the Browns training camp? Well, he is done. (laughs) Uh, He will not play. He was removed from the facility and the practice Thursday. He will not play any preseason games. And what was a six-game suspension has now been upgraded, John, to an 11-game suspension, a $5 million fine, court-ordered counseling, and he must appear in a reinstatement hearing in front of Roger Goodell at the end of the suspension. 11 games means he, he does not play till December. Now, th- this came as a negotiated settlement. This was not handed down by the arbitrator, Peter Henry. Peter Henry had heard the NFL appeal. Watson got a six-game suspension from the first judge. The NFL and the union both had a right to appeal the discipline. Union said, we'll accept it. Roger Goodell said, we don't accept it. They went back, and they asked for a full-year suspension and a $10 million fine. Then they negotiated. This did not come from the arbitrator, Peter Henry. The two sides, Goodell's people and the union, negotiated this expansion of the discipline to 11 games and $5 million. Uh, I, I think the thing that's stunning to me, after Deshaun Watson was issued the 11-game suspension, John, he met with the media in Cleveland, and he just absolutely remains defiant. I did nothing wrong. I have no regrets. But at the same time, he's apologizing to the women, quote, he impacted. Uh, <laughs> talk about double talk. Right. Uh, I mean, his reputation is stained. You know, and I, I made a, a laundry list, John, of, of things he said. You know, he said, I have no regrets. I did nothing wrong. But by the way, it, he settled $4.2 million in out-of-court settlement with the women. By the way, he's paying $2.1 million out of his own pocket for his own legal fees. Mm-hmm. By the way, he has now lost, it'll be $635,000 in game checks this year with the 11-game suspension. And by the way, it's a $5 million fine that is going to charity on behalf of women who have been sexually abused. So he said he did nothing wrong? Come on. What a hypocrite. Uh, Cleveland, uh, they will start with Jacoby Brissett as their starting quarterback for the first 11 games of the season. Ex-Colt, ex-Miami Dolphin, sub-500 record as a starter, but he's, he's the one there that has been in practice, knows the playbook. This bears watching going towards August 30th. Jimmy Garoppolo is still out there. Cleveland might make a conditional deal to get him. I don't think Cleveland wants to take on a $25 million salary that Garoppolo's got by, from San Francisco, but that's not guaranteed money. Um, Maybe that happens. Watson is removed from the Browns facility, effective this Thursday. <laughs> That's the second player removed from the facility that we're already talking about. So, you know? so Watson is gone. Watson cannot be in the facility and have any interaction with the Browns till October 10th. He can then be readmitted to the facility for meetings only mm. in the quarterback's room and with the coaches. No practice does not return to the practice field till November 14th. Then, obviously, he is established back on the roster and plays his first game December 4th, Cleveland-Houston, of all teams, that he's going to come back about. So we know about Watson, what Watson has said. Mm -hmm. We know about the Browns' public stance. 
And I asked somebody in Cleveland to give me an idea how many female employees are in the Browns organization oh, wow. front office. And the number was given to me, I think, was 58. How do the 58 female employees in Cleveland feel about the organization and feel about the owner, Jim Haslam, considering who this guy is? And Haslam went public today, Thursday, uh, with a brief comment that he has counseling he must go to. He has every right to rehabilitate himself. And then he has a right to come back and play in the NFL. But he has things he must do. But I wonder about those 58 women that work in the Cleveland Browns front office in all different varieties, secretaries, marketing well, directors. This is How the year of Me Too. You know, I mean, we it's all about having the right presentation, you know, from a PR perspective, they got to do what the society thinks is the right thing. But what's interesting in the NFL and a lot of other sports is that the the fines and suspensions are so disproportional. You know, you'll Deshaun Watson is what you say is going to be out 11 games. But there are other people that have that are out for a year for smoking marijuana. I mean, which is worse? Well, the league has had to evolve its discipline program. And they can't do things unilaterally because that union carries an awful lot of power. But there's an intangible that has come from this negotiation. Under the old rules that had existed up until Thursday morning, the worst sanction anybody got for any type of domestic violence issue was six games. Well, now this is a new baseline. The next guy that steps out of line in the league as it relates to any type of sexual misconduct or assault, that's 11 games is the new standard. And the union can't go back and take this back. So I think the NFL won to a degree. Watson has lost a ton financially. He's lost all of his endorsements. And by the time this suspension is over, John, Deshaun Watson will have missed 28 straight games because he didn't play all last year in Houston Mm. while it was on the inactive list, but he did get all of his money. So it's just a nasty story. But I think one of the intangibles is, and as you you put that headline up, the NFL nailed Watson. There's now a a new baseline for anybody that creates any type of domestic abuse or sexual misconduct. Incidents. Well, it's crazy. I mean, what's going on in the NFL? It's, it's just unbelievable. But, Lee, before we get to the next NFL story, I just want to just share with uh, our viewers, you know, the lines are lighting up. You know, the chat line is, <laughs> is going here. we got a lot of people here. Uh, Ted Turan on the line talking about, hey, what's up from El Cajon? We've got a lot of other guys here. Look at look right here. we got Emmanuel Espinosa. Hello, Hacksaw. All right, I'll tell you what we'll do. At the, at the tail end of our podcast, yeah. we'll go back and we'll do the fans forum. So keep the questions coming and we'll try to throw some out in your direction. Uh, you had a comment uh, about NFL quarterbacks. You wanted to do a recap? Yeah, let's do that. Um, well, you know, last last week was the first preseason set of games, and there are an awful lot of new faces and new places at quarterbacks. So I thought it would be interesting just to go back and look at what happened. Now, Deshaun Watson did play in that first Cleveland game. Oh, he did? Oh, oh wow. He got booed. And by the way, <laughs> uh, Deshaun Watson now becomes public enemy number one in the NFL. I do not think... Even in Cleveland, I don't think he'll be rewarded with fan support. And when they go on the road and he comes back to the Browns in December, it's going to be vicious in every stadium that he plays in. So, But he was one for five, seven yards passing in his first game with the Browns. He just he looked out of control. He looked very uncomfortable. He looked rattled. So that was a bit of, a bit of a surprise. Now, amongst the other quarterbacks, the guy that stole the thunder the first preseason game, 
Pittsburgh Steeler number one draft pick Kenny Pickett. And you oh, know, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, you, yeah. You know the Steelers have to replace the retiring, the legend, maybe a Hall of Famer, and Ben Roethlisberger. Well, they drafted Ken Pickett from the University of Pittsburgh. It was a bit of a surprise pick that he was taken. Ken Pickett came off the bench in the second half of the Steeler game last week, completed his first nine passes. Nine ah. in a row. Nice. And he finished 13 for 15 throwing it with two touchdowns. Now, that's a pretty impressive debut. I don't care that he was playing against the 58th player or the 88th player on somebody else's roster, and those guys are going to get cut. This is his first game as a pro. And the response today, Mike Tomlin was asked, what's next for Ken Pickett? Uh, Tomlin says, next game, he's going to play against the varsity, which means he's going to play in the second quarter, and he'll play starters with starters. It'll be interesting to see how he does. So that was pretty impressive. Not an impressive start for a couple of other kids on that draft board. Uh, Malik Willis, a young quarterback, maybe the future quarterback, Tennessee Titans, looked panic-stricken. He was 6 for 11. 58 yards passing, ran the football way too much. He can't do that in the league. He's going to wind up in the hospital. He was just really frantic. I think he was just overwhelmed. Now, he's not. I don't think he's going to play this year unless something catastrophic happens uh, to Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. Um, interesting, Des Ritter, University of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Now, he hung on the draft board, John, until the third round. Atlanta took him. Desmond Ritter is supposed to sit and learn behind Marcus Mariota. His first game, he had 79 yards passing, 58 yards rushing, and led the Falcons to two touchdowns. Now, most of this was in the second half. That's a pretty pretty decent start for a kid who had really good statistics mm-hmm. uh, at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, one guy that did not do well was Carolina's Matt Corral. He's the quarterback from Ole Miss. One for nine. Talk about panic-stricken. Mm-hmm. I can imagine him in the pocket. What is going on around me? This is not like playing at Mississippi. <laughs> right. One for nine is not very good. So there's an awful lot of work to be done uh, with him. Well, how about how about in Denver? Uh, Josh Johnson, I heard, did really well in the fir- first week of the preseason. Josh Johnson might, might get a plaque in the Hall of Fame for having been under contract to the most teams in the league. He's played for like 13 different teams, been under contract. He's never, ever really been a starter. He's a backup. He's an insurance policy. He's a University of San Diego kid. It's really, it's really funny. Uh, but, he, you know, he can be on somebody's roster and he might buy you some time. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to start in the league because that is Russell Wilson's team. Now, they're not playing Russell Wilson uh, during the preseason. A couple of other notes. You're talking about young quarterbacks. Jordan Love, Green Bay. Now, that's the future mm. beyond Aaron Rodgers in a couple years. Now, he's been there two years already. First game. Much to Aaron's chagrin. Uh, It doesn't matter. Aaron got his money and Aaron (laughs) got his way. Right. uh, But I'll tell you, not not an easy time for Jordan Love. Three interceptions in his first preseason game as Green Bay got beat. So there's an awful lot of work for somebody that's already is in the program. It's not like he just got off the bus and has gone through one mini camp and has been asked to play. I mean, this was live fire. He threw three interceptions. He did throw a couple of touchdowns. So that was that was kind of strange. Uh, Seattle, uh, you know, it's a big debate because there is no Russell Wilson there anymore. And what what should happen in Seattle? Well, they they played Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Those are the two guys competing for the starting job. And they both played really well. Um, they want to combine 21 for 30 for 203. That's pretty productive. So Pete Carroll was, was pleased. And then Pete Carroll 
is ready to let Drew Locke be the starter this week because Geno Smith started last week. Mm-hmm. Drew Locke tests positive for COVID yesterday. Oh, man. So he's out of the mix for at least five days, if not a little bit longer. Luckily for him, he was vaccinated. So, How long has Geno Smith been in the league? Uh, ex, you know, he was a high number one draft pick out of West Virginia, fell down the draft board. He came from kind of a unique, he was a systems quarterback that worked at what West Virginia's Mountaineers ran. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's bounced all over the place. He started a little bit with the New York Jets. He's not started in Seattle. He's played a bunch when Russell Wilson was hurt. So I would assume maybe he's going to be the starter. But I look at Geno Smith. He just hasn't been an NFL-established quarterback. He's been in the league, I'd say, at least five years. So to me, the term is just a guy. (laughs) Uh, I'm fascinated by Drew Locke because he had a great career at Missouri. And you saw when he was in Denver, John, you saw flashes and said, boy, this guy is impressive. Mm -hmm. But then you see him put balls into places he should never, ever be throwing it. Now, (laughs) maybe that's a byproduct of being a a quarterback in in the first or second year. So that's a a quick summary of what happened the first weekend of the NFL uh, with the quarterbacks. And Spurs watching because you got weekend games this weekend, then you got next weekend, and then comes the start of the season. Well, I mean, there's it, it, so much going on in, in the world of sports within the NFL. Now, one of the one of the players on the Chargers just, like, inked a big contract. Derwin James, big-time safety. He's uh, now the highest-paid defensive back in the National Football League. Uh, his average salary on a new four-year extension is $19 million per season. Really good player and can play multiples of positions. The only negative about the guy that's going to wear number three this year, he gets hurt. He's had three significant injuries in four years in the NFL, has missed a chunk of time. And, it you know, shoulder injury, foot injury, Achilles problem, back issue. It's a physical position to play. But when he's been on the field, two-time pro bowler. So he now becomes the highest paid safety in the history of the NFL, it was a four-year, $76 million deal. I think there was $49 million of it was guaranteed. Now, the key is they got to keep him on the field. I'll tell you what, I'm so interested to watch the start of the NFL season because you look at what the Chargers have done defensively up front with the addition of Kilo Mack, what they've done at linebacker, and what they've done on the secondary with getting J.C. Jackson from New England, and now they get Derwin James back healthy. I think they got every piece of the defense covered schematically. Now they just need to stay on the field and stay healthy. So it'll be fun. We, we get to just be on Labor Day weekend when the season starts, but the Chargers, to me, look look loaded. I mean, I'm, I'm in that boat that you were talking about a few weeks ago. I'm rooting for the kid quarterback. But I want Spanos to go 0-17. I'm, I'm just all these conflicted emotions. Well, I wrote, I wrote a column on my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. It's all written. I wrote a column today, Chargers, exciting and angry. And <laughs> I detailed specifically why I think this is going to be a fun year to watch them. And I deal, detailed specifically what I felt about what was done to the city of San Diego, the fans of San Diego, the media in San Diego, by that ownership. So in your spare time, go check one man's opinion column on my website. You'll like it. Now, we got other things to talk about. Uh, it's not all joy in sports. Let's talk about this NBA story with the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers, It's it, they're like the team that 
we many San Diegans have adopted, but we're all still feeling the pain of Kobe's death. Where is where is the team going to go with LeBron? But there's been a lot of news, uh, you know, from the Bryant family. Well, his widow Vanessa Bryant has filed a massive lawsuit against the L.A. County Sheriff's Department uh, over the death of Kobe Bryant. The deputies have been found to have taken pictures of the death site, of Brian's body, of the daughter's body. Now, part of that is an investigation into the crash. But one of the, one of the rules are, in law enforcement, that, that that's private information. That's information for an investigation. That's not information to be shared. And Vanessa Bryant got wind of reports that three sheriff's department officials who took those pictures on their cell phones showed those pictures to other people, other search and rescue people, other fire people, people that were at the crash site. But they also went places publicly and showed those photos to other people who are not law enforcement people. And she has filed a massive lawsuit against the L.A. County Sheriff's Department for what they did. And what they did, I I think, is unethical. It's unfair. It's a terrible invasion of privacy. And the trial just started this past week, Monday and Tuesday, very emotional trial. She got so upset at the testimony when they, they showed video of one sheriff's department deputy in a bar on his cell phone showing the bartender the pictures of the dismembered Kobe Bryant. Can you think about the ethics behind that? I mean, it's, it's not just unethical. It's immoral. I mean, this is law enforcement whose job is to protect and serve. And here they're walking around like they think they got the cover of the National Enquirer. Yeah, it's it, it's really ugly. Uh, I, I unless there's an out of court settlement, I, I believe that Vanessa Bryant is going to win uh, this invasion of privacy uh, issue. Now, from that, let's talk about the ongoing controversy: the war in professional golf. You know, because we've talked a little bit about the PGA Tour and the Saudi Super League (LIV) and what's happened, and it, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. But that guy, Tiger Woods, uh, the alpha in the room is trying to solve it. Uh, John, and here's just a brief background. PGA is playing this week in Delaware the BMW Championships, the FedEx Mm -hmm. Cup. Mm -hmm. A lot of money on the table. They're playing without 30 guys. 30 30 guys have now left the PGA Tour to go take the guaranteed money in Saudi Arabia. Tiger Woods on his own after talking to Rory McIlroy called a players only meeting on Tuesday in Delaware and 25 players, the veteran players, showed up, and they talked about what should happen next. I think Tiger is, is trying to save the PGA Tour. Tiger is trying to get a commitment from the guys that are left. I mean, Mickelson's gone. Dustin Johnson's gone. Big-name people have gone. Tiger Woods is trying to get a commitment from the 25 lead veteran guys that are still here to stay on the tour and don't take the money and don't go to Saudi Arabia, etc. Players did not want to talk about what on. The meeting lasted for three hours, I was told. Players did not want to take about, talk about it, but there is a report that the players, quote, took a blood oath that they're not going to leave the PGA Tour. Now, as part of this, Tiger and Rory, who are really the two marquee names that are still here, John Rahm, maybe, they have been empowered by the players' board 
to go meet with the PGA Commissioner, Jay Monahan and to talk more about what has to change in the structure of the PGA. PGA has up, up, upgraded all the purses they're giving to all the tournaments. That sounds great, but I asked the question, where, where the hell was that five years ago? <laughs> right. When Phil Mickelson and those guys were saying, we're not making enough money, you're making all the money on the tour, and you're putting it in your pocket. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, now the money has now come front and center. So I think uh, Tiger and Rory will meet with Jay Monahan, and they will talk more extensively about what has to be done to make the tour better and to stabilize the tour. And maybe somewhere in the course of conversation after this Tiger Woods called meeting, John, maybe maybe there will be peace talks with Greg Norman and the LIV. At this, at this instant, as we chat on a Thursday, Jay Monahan says, I will have nothing to do with the Saudi Super League because who they are, what they represented, and how they did their business. And they're really offended in Pontrevita, Florida, the headquarters of the PGA. They're really offended because all the w- rules and regs and how they operate the PGA Tour was devised by the Tour Policy Board. Who makes up the Tour Policy Board? The Mickelsons and the Dustin Johnsons of the world, the guys who violated what they agreed in principle to and left to go go play abroad. So uh, it's it's ugly. And, you know, to complicate it even more, now we got another star who has just jumped. It's not been finalized, but this is the report everywhere. We all love the British Open. We all watch the British Open in Scotland and England and Ireland and the history of it. Cam Smith won the British Open and was phenomenal. The shots he made and the success he had. Cam Smith is jumping to the Saudi Super League. And just a month ago, prior to the British Open, he said, I have no interest at all. And now he's the latest to go. And just prior to him, Bubba Watson, who's become a journeyman, but had a, has had a good career before injuries hit him. Bubba Watson jumped. So, John, there are now 30 guys who've gone to the Saudi Super League. And that's that's why there was such urgency with Tiger Woods uh, to have this meeting. So that's that's the latest in golf. Well, I mean, if if more guys defect, there's not going to be anything left in the PGA. The, that, le- that league, that organization is just going to crumble. Well, I'll tell you, you're right. You look at the leaderboard in the last couple of couple tournaments, and you say, who are these guys at the top of the leaderboard? I mean, we know John Ram, and we know Rory, and we know Xander Shoffley, the San Diego State Aztec, who's right on the brink of becoming a real star on the circuit. But boy, some of these other people have come out of nowhere. Who are these guys? So it, they've taken a big hit, taken a terrible hit, because a lot of the marquee recognizable names are gone from the pro golf tour. Unbelievable. Um, so much going on in the world of sports. You know, we're, we're getting close to, to the World Cup time, to soccer time. Um, you were sharing some of the Hacksaw's headlines before we got started, and we got some news going on with Christian Pulisic. For the soccer fans, they know who he is. For the other fans who don't know, this is the star with Team USA. He's a young guy who's gone abroad. He played in Germany. He's now playing in the English Premier League. Christian Pulisic is the star striker for Team USA as we go towards the World Cup in November at Qatar. Christian mm-hmm. Pulisic is playing for Chelsea, legendary franchise. He is not a starter. He's not happy. New coach just doesn't think he can keep him on the field because he doesn't score enough goals. New coach is worried that he keeps getting hurt. He's had a lot of injuries in the last two-plus years. Pulisic is asked to be traded. Chelsea's coach is talking about working a, quote, transfer deal. Huge amounts of money in, in English soccer mm-hmm. to make these transactions. I find this hard to believe, but Chelsea is talking about trading Christian Pulisic 
to Newcastle United or Manchester United, the enemy in their own league. Now, it'd be like a 50 to an $80 million transfer deal, but it would give Pulisic, who's only 23, he's been playing abroad since he was 18, it would give Pulisic the opportunity to go be a starter. And, and I hate to bring this up at this point in time, but the owners of Newcastle United from Saudi Arabia, they just bought the team last season. Uh, Manchester United is owned by the Glazer family in Tampa, the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, There's a deal coming sooner than later with Pulisic. Hard to believe that Chelsea won't start him. When you consider what he's done here with Team USA Soccer, absolutely, absolutely amazing. So that bears watching, but he is going to be moved pretty doggone quickly. Well, usually it seems that when they have these transfer deals with soccer stars, they don't transfer within the same league. No, hardly they'll, ever. Right. They'll they'll go to like to Real Madrid or they'll go to play in a team in Italy. But it'd be interesting if this happened in the Premier League. I mean, moving them around I it as a I'm a I'm a big fan um especially of the US men's team. And when I watch Premier League on television, I'm always disappointed that I don't get to see Pulisic play. And I've always felt that he really is a world-class athlete. I mean, you know, roll the clock back 30, 40 years ago. American soccer players were not at that level. No. But Pulisic is. So uh, hopefully he does get an opportunity to play for another Premier League team. Uh, With the exception of uh, Harry Kane, who was a 40-goal scorer a couple of years ago, there have been very few players that have gone from a team in the EPL to another team in the EPL. That it, it just doesn't happen. These guys, as you say, they wind up at FC Barcelona mm-hmm. or Milan or Juventus, etc. So this bear is watching, but evidently Chelsea doesn't believe in him and Pulisic's going to wind up somewhere else. Unbelievable. Now, there's a sad piece of news. Um, you know, I know you have a, a, a long background covering the world of hockey. And you, you were sharing some news about one of their legendary players in the NHL. One of the great defensemen with the Toronto Maple Leafs. His name is Borea Selmain, star, star in the 70s and 80s, very seriously ill uh, abroad. He's in from Scandinavia. Uh, he's in, I think he's in Finland right now for treatment. He's age 73. He's just been diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And this, this is one of the great popular Maple Leafs on the great franchise in the NHL. So there's a lot of sadness there. I don't know if he's going to be able to come back and visit Toronto again, but he's been there back and forth since he retired. But he modernized the game. If Bobby Orr was the greatest defenseman of all time, and rightfully so, back in the day with the Boston Bruins, this guy probably revolutionized the game that defenseman played in the 70s uh, into the 80s. I think Selmain played 16 years total with the Maple Leafs and woke up one morning and decided to go back home uh, from Scandinavia. But it's, yeah, it's kind of taken the, the wind out of the sails of a lot of people in the NHL right now. Wow. You know, I speaking for myself, you know, I'm, I'm a native Californian. I mean, hockey, a little bit foreign to me, right? You know, but the more I learned about it, the more I understand the sport. I followed it to a great deal when Gretzky was on the Kings, you know, and and that was an exciting time. But the history of the NHL um, is something special, you know, with the, the, how many were the original teams? I mean, six of them? Original six. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there's enormous tradition in Montreal and Toronto. And then 
Obviously, when the merger with the World Hockey Association came, it brought in Edmonton, which is a great market. That brought us Gretzky and Messier and Grant Fuhr and all those Stanley Cups and Vancouver. Uh, they, I mean, the Canadian teams are, are really special. So, yeah, there's, there's great outpouring of emotion. Uh, you may hate the Toronto Maple Leafs in Montreal, but I'll tell you, this day, this night, you're you're thinking good thoughts about that guy, Boreas Selmy. Really classy, classy people. All right, I see your board. Is it time for fans forum? I think it is. All so, right, let's just run through a few of them here and get started. You bring it up, ask the question, and we'll get some answers. Well, I think here we go, uh, Angel Baragon. Welcome back, Hacksaw. L.A. and San Diego missed you on the radio and TV. Well, I miss it, too. Although I'm on, on KS, KUSI every Saturday, I do a special Saturday sports report at 6.30 in the morning. So if you're up early on Saturday, you'll get the best of me on television. Loved it. Loved doing sports talk radio. Kind of wish I was still doing it, but that's just the landscape has changed. It's just not there. It does prove one thing, though, John. If you do this long enough, you should get good enough at it. I got good <laughs> enough at it. Thank you. Well, actually, here's another comment from Angel. Uh, it says, I hope that Fernando Tatis Jr. used this time to think about his career. He's still young and can earn the Padre fans t- and team trust and, and redeem. Uh, so, yeah, there's a chance that he can come back oh, and yes. rebuild his his uh, his brand image. I uh, concur with you. I'd sign that memo. But you know what, Angel? That has to come from Tatis. And it ha- it's just not words, as A.J. Preller said. Whatever happens now, he has to show it through his actions. Yeah. All right. So, you know, we, we got a lot more comments here on the live stream, but, you know, we welcome all of your thoughts. You know, feel free to type them in. You know, we, we finally got the, the live chat working properly today. So, um, you know, this is a chance for the fan forum where they can get involved. They can participate in the show. All right. Punch up a couple more here. All right. Let's see what, what else we got here from. Yeah. So here's uh, Ismail Espinosa. Hello, Hacksaw. And they got a couple of um, Facebook users. He's got not choice other than coming back even better. Talking about Tatis. Probably talking about Tatis, yeah. And here's a couple of more comments. The fact that Tatis Jr. is having face-to-face meetings is a sign that he's taking the right steps immediately. Well, that's because he's been ordered to these meetings. He's not doing this voluntarily. But the only way you rebuild the bridge is through bricks and mortar. And the bricks and mortar will be with working with that general manager and with that owner. Because I said last week, I was very emotional about it. He betrayed everybody, including all these fans who have made him a hero. So he's got he's got work to do to rebuild that bridge. Here's another Facebook user. Let's see how the team feels before we speculate. Well, we have heard some comments anonymously out of that clubhouse. But this will go away because there are still 40 games to be played. There's a playoff series to be played. I, I think the Tatis conversation is going to die down and go away because these guys have to fight off everybody that's trying to get to second or third in the wild card race. Atlanta looks like it's going to clinch the first wild card, so the Padres are in a real dogfight. And, and after a while, the media, which has a job to do, we do have to report what's gone on and get reaction to what's gone on. The media will stop asking questions about Tatis. And Tatis will probably go underground and won't be available, and that's okay. Next time I see him, I want to see him locked in playing baseball, hopefully having had surgery. Wow. I mean, just you came in loaded with Hacksaw's headlines today. (laughs) I mean, there were 11 stories, a lot on the table. 
What's what's uh, what's the best way for the fans to engage with you and connect? Well, not only just here on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, and and the other social media networks, YouTube, YouTube obviously. Yeah. Uh, in addition to where we are on the audio spectrum, uh, but I have the written website. I write on it every day of the week. LeeHacksawHamilton dot com on the internet, and you can write write me. Email is there. I try to answer as many emails as I can, but there's an absolute ton of stuff on my website. So hope you enjoy this. We do this virtually every Thursday. We have just started. As I told John, when John came to me and said, podcast, <laughs> I said, okay. I said, I'm glad you know what you're doing because I don't know what you're doing. He said, I'll provide the content. You provide all the infrastructure and we have. So, hey, we thank you for watching. We hope you'll join us again every Thursday and ask you to uh, tweet and text and email all your friends. Tell them Hacksaw's Headlines is now up on the podcast on YouTube. Thanks again for being with us. John, we'll catch you next Thursday. Right on, Lee. Thanks. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.